welcome to the First Church Message of the Week podcast. Thanks for listening in. We are on the third week of our stewardship series titled A Deeper Well. This series focuses on how we can live lives of abundance and not scarcity. In scripture, life stories like Rachel and Jacob's often happen around a well. Church is also the site of love stories, not romantically, but the place where we fall in love with ordinary, sainted sinners. In this message of the week from October 17th, Pastor Abigail Lozan shares from Genesis 29 and the story of Rachel and Jacob. The story highlights what it means to serve others in ordinary circumstances. Here is the First Church message of the week. This morning, we are continuing our stewardship series on a deeper well, on living with a sense of abundance rather than scarcity. We'll look this week at finding love of and in the ordinary things in our lives. Our scripture this week is about a very ordinary event shepherds and a traveler meeting at a well in search of water. Yet the ordinary becomes a source of extraordinary joy when we appreciate what we have. Our reading this morning is from Genesis chapter 29, verses 1 through 14. And it's part of a story, a longer story, about Jacob Uh, Jacob and his family, and his whole life story is actually pretty long. So you're always invited. Some of you like to read things each week. And if you want to read uh, a little bit of Jacob's story, you could read the chapter before this, and this chapter, and the chapter after it, or some part of that. Then Jacob went on his journey and came to a land of the people of the east. As he looked, he saw a well in a field and three flocks of sheep lying there beside it. For out of that well the flocks were watered. The stone on the well's mouth was large, and when all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone from the mouth of the well and water the sheep, and put the stone back in its place on the mouth of the well. Jacob said to them, My brothers, where do you come from? They said, We are from Haran. He said to them, Do you know Laban, son of Nahor? They said, We do. He said to them, Is it well with him? Yes, they replied, and here is his daughter Rachel coming with the sheep. He said, Look, it is still broad daylight. It is not time for the animals to be gathered together. Water the sheep and go pasture them. But they said, We cannot until all the flocks are gathered together and the stone is rolled from the mouth of the well. Then we water the sheep. While he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she kept them. Now when Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of his mother's brother Laban, and the sheep of his mother's brother Laban, Jacob went up and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of his mother's brother, Laban. 
Then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud, and Jacob told Rachel that he was his father's kinsman and that he was Rebekah's son, and she ran and told her father. When Laban heard the news about his sister's son Jacob, he ran to meet him. He embraced and kissed him and brought him to his house. Jacob told Laban all these things, and Laban said to him, Surely you are my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him a month. Thanks be to God for the gift of scripture. As I mentioned, our topic this morning is about finding love and loving the ordinary things in life. And ordinary means what is expected. Things that are common or daily, routine. It's the little things we're talking about. Ordinariness is something that maybe we don't hear in this story at the well because it's not our life these days. You don't make sure that you go and water, well, you do make sure you water your uh, animals, I hope, if you have them. Um, you probably don't do so by drawing water from a well, um, although you do have to cart water around for the animals, <laughs> and that's important. But in this story, they have this whole description about a well, and there's a big, heavy stone, and so they don't even move it aside until they have everybody gathered together because it's so heavy that one person can't really move it. It's there to make sure that nothing gets into the well and protect the water and to also, I assume, keep people that they don't want from just coming along and drinking from it. But this story is, when you boil it down a bit, is a little bit more ordinary than we might at first see. Because here comes along this young man and he's coming to a place of meeting. It's not uncommon to meet people at the well. It's kind of like if you went to the grocery store. Or maybe he's going and just getting something to drink for himself, and so he meets somebody at a coffee shop. That would work too. And he meets this girl, and he falls in love, because she's beautiful. And then the uncle comes, and is very excited to have a relative from far out of town and to get to meet his nephew he's never met before, I don't think. And so there's much rejoicing. Boy meets girl, boy falls in love. Family meets this relative that they haven't maybe seen for a really long time or ever, and they're happy. There's a lot of ordinary things in that. In her article, Women and Wells in the Hebrew Bible, religious studies professor Julie Bidmead describes what wells meant to the people in biblical times. Almost every aspect of daily life in ancient Israel involved water. Agriculture, animal husbandry, cooking, personal hygiene, and of course, drinking. People would have to collect water from natural sources such as free-running streams, fountains, springs, or from wells. 
and other sources of artificial sources of water like wells, water systems, reservoirs, and cisterns. The centralized open location of wells allowed them to serve as social gathering points. Travelers stopped to water their camels there, and wells could also be landmarks. They were essential, central part of life in that time. And there's actually a lot of stories and mention of wells in scripture. And there's a number of miraculous happenings at wells. And we talked a little bit already about a couple of them. The first week of our series, we talked about living water, Jesus meeting the woman at the well and him talking about living water. Last week, we heard about a woman who had flour and oil that were able to never run out while the land was facing a drought. And that meeting also happened, the meeting between her and the man who was in need of food, also happened at a well, or near a well. And there are other miraculous stories in scripture around wells or about water. There's a story about water coming from a rock. There's a story about a pool of water that's healing. And of course, there's a story about water turning into wine. Now, wouldn't you like that as your well in your yard? <laughs> At least for drinking, I don't know about uh, using it for cooking and cleaning. <laughs> but in addition to all the miraculous stories at wells, there's also lots of just common references to them. They were used as uh, landmarks. They're talked about in scripture also sometimes just to explain place names because the fact that it's by a well is part of the place name. They are places where people meet each other. Wells are fought over. Because going to a well was an ordinary, maybe twice a day or more, task that the people did. And so it's not surprising that we encounter these stories of wells and water. Now, I've had my own experience with wells myself. I spent some time living in Palestine. And uh, while I was there, I was living in this little tiny shepherding and farming village called Atawani in the South Hebron Hills. And uh, which is south of where these people would have been, I believe, uh, where Jacob was. And in this little village, there was no running water, which is kind of a longer story why there was no running water, partly because they were a ways out um, in the countryside. But they were also, at the time I was there, facing a drought. And so they were being very conserving of their water. And the South Hebron Hills are not very far from the desert there. And so it's quite arid anyway. It's not a place with lots and lots of water. 
And so it was very important then, of course, to have a source of water. And they had a well in town that they used for water, for cooking, and for drinking. They used some other things like a cistern and so on for some of their water, uh, where they stored water for washing and things like that. And so we would have to go and get all of our water and haul it up to our house. It was down the hill from us, so we, it was a bit of a task, not only in distance, but the steepness going back to the house. And we also, not just the distance, made us careful about conserving water because we didn't want to have to haul more, but being well aware of the need to conserve it. In fact, sometimes we used water three times. We don't often do that in our own homes, do we? We usually use it once and it goes down the drain. And so while I was having to live there and think about water in a new way, it gave me a different appreciation for these ordinary things, things like being able to turn a tap and have water come out and to not have to worry about every drop and to catch every drop so you could use it again and again. And it also gave me a new experience of God in these ordinary tasks of life. God's abundant love and care became more clear to me in this experience. Because when you're living so much closer to the edge of things and um, really working for everything in your daily life, you become more aware of what God provides. I believe that stewardship, which we we're talking about, it's an older word, and it's a word that usually you encounter it more in churchy circles or sometimes in environmental circles if you're talking about taking care of land and stewardship of land. But stewardship is about how we care for, how we conserve, and how we use what we have. And one part of that is about realizing what we have in the first place. Being aware. In fact, that was one of the jobs of stewards was to keep track of the goods and what was owned. And so I think that for us, good stewardship is also about noticing what we have and as faithful disciples, not focusing on what we don't have and just wanting things that we don't have, but looking at what it is that we do have and giving thanks for these things. There's a story in a book called Taran Wanderer. It's a part of a fantasy series for uh, young adults called The Chronicles of Prydain. And this character is called Lanio. He's a minor character in the story. But he's a great example of counting one's blessings. So when I was thinking about this sermon, the story occurred to me. Now, Taran is the main character, and he has been wandering around uh, on a quest, and he just, just abandoned his quest 
which is the rest of the story. We won't go into that. Um, and But he has a flock of sheep with him, and he doesn't want to just leave them at the farm that he's leaving and have them just turned out by themselves. So he takes them with him, and he comes and thinks, well, I'll give it to the first uh, farm or holding that I come across. And so this is uh, where he encounters Lanio. And he sees that this man has this beautiful sheepfold that's in good repair, it's um, ready for receiving a flock of sheep. And so he offers it to Lanio, and he is very excited to have the sheep, and he says, good, the children have been talking about this for weeks, and so on. And, uh, you know, Tarin is concerned, well, won't they crowd out your own animals? And he said, no, I don't have any animals. <laughs> I just built it, <laughs> built the sheepfold um, in expectation of sheep showing up. And so Tarin is astounded with Lanio's luck that he builds this and then along comes a flock of sheep. So Tarin decides he's going to stay with the family that night. And uh, they go back to the farmhouse and his children gather around and they start showing him these different finds that they have from their foraging that day. Uh, he sends his, one of his daughters to go and see if the brown hen has laid an egg. And then when she comes back with one, he exclaims over it and talks about how, what a wonderful egg it is and uh, says that we will feast on this tonight. And Taran's looking at this one egg and thinking, okay, he's got like half a dozen children and there's him and his wife and me. And, you know, how are we going to feast on one egg? But Lanio... Uh, continues to rejoice and be excited as each child shows something that they have found or brought. Um, a handful of flour, some herbs, milk from one of their goats, a honeycomb. And so uh, he's very excited and his wife takes all of these things and pops them in a pan and um, mixes it all up, pours it out into a real thin pan and cooks it over the fire. And it turns into this beautiful, delicious supper that they eat. Lanio is grateful for each thing that he had and showed appreciation for it all. And then his wife turned it into something that they could all share together and have enough and leftovers. And so Taran uh, continues to stay with the family for several weeks. He joins Lanio in going out to check his many nets and weirs and baskets that the man has around his farm and in the nearby small river. And um, it looks kind of funny because there's these different baskets sitting in the farmyard and on um, various, you know, on the ground and up on top of things. And then he's got all these nets in the river and fishing lines and so on. And... Karen is amazed at all of the ordinary, used, and even broken things that Lanio collects and finds uses for. So he, might, he collects a broken bridle, and then later on it becomes belts, and he um, collects a whole bunch of other different things, and he's always turning them into something else that is useful. 
And so Taryn thinks, Laniel, you are indeed very, very lucky. But his real luck is not about chance. It's not just that, oh, wow, wasn't that a great fortunate thing that he just built the sheepfold uh, and here along come sheep. But it's really about Lanio's ability to appreciate what he has, to anticipate and prepare for what might happen, but be okay with whatever comes along, and also his cleverness in being open to new ways of using things and doing things. And so when Taran eventually grows restless and he sets off for new places to wander, Lanio gives Taran some good advice. Trust your luck, Taran wanderer, Lanio called after Taran as he left for the free commotes, but don't forget to put out your nets. An appreciation of what we have, finding joy in the ordinary things of life, Seeing gratitude with gratitude, all that we have changes us. When we draw from God's well of abundant blessings, we find that that well is deep, deeper than we realize. We no longer see that a glass is half empty. We see that we have a glass and it has water in it. And we have enough, we, when we see we have enough, we are thankful, not longing for what we don't have, but appreciating what we do have and also using it, sometimes in creative and new ways. We are called to give a portion of all that we have received to God. Because indeed, everything we have is from God. And we all have gifts and skills that we can share. Especially when we take time and we draw from God's deep well of faith and joy and love and hope. Now, this giving of what we have does not have to be a dramatic event, this huge sacrifice. It can be, and there's a place and a time for that. But it can also be about, as we say in our communion liturgy, being living sacrifices to God. It can be about the little daily ways that we share our ordinary blessings. We are called by God to give, and we can live out this call by serving our local church when needs arise, as one example. And so you may have noticed that you received, when you came in, this half sheet, if I can find where I put it, half sheet of paper that says, find your fit. And we decided to give this out as a way for people to think again about stewardship. We talk about, in our membership vows, about faithfully serving with our prayers, our presence, our gifts, and our service. 
And so while we talk about giving financially to the church, and that's very important, we remember that we also give to God by sharing our gifts and our talents. And so I encourage you and invite you to take time to notice and appreciate your God-given gifts. And I, as we go into our next song, I invite you to take some time to think about how God might be calling you to use, or maybe it's to continue to use. Maybe you're already sharing your gifts in a particular way. But to listen to how God is inviting you to use the gifts and to really notice. Sometimes we don't think about how there's something that we do have that we can share. Because we think, oh, I'm so exhausted. I can't be on another committee. Well, that's OK. That's great if you feel like you want to be on leadership team. But if you don't feel called to that, that's OK. There's lots of ways to serve. So let us pray. Loving God, thank you for the many blessings we receive, both big and small, ordinary and extraordinary. Everything we have comes from you. Help us to take time to notice all that we have and appreciate it. As we take time now to do this, we open our hearts to how you are calling us to serve others and you by sharing your gift, our gifts. Guide us as we reflect, reflect and pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us for the First Church Message of the Week. To stay connected, subscribe to this podcast and follow us on Facebook. For more information on our church calendar, visit our website at watertownfirst.church. This has been the First Church Message of the Week.